Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Today's story comes from Mary Shirley. This story was recorded live on July 18th, 2018. The theme of the evening was The Perfect Plan. In August of 2014, uh, at the age of 28, I had what turned out to be my last great adventure as a single person. Um, two months after the events of this story, I met a man who turned out to be the love of my life and will be my husband next year. Uh, but at the time of this story, things were very different. I had just ended a really toxic relationship with one guy, and I just finished a whirlwind uh, exotic romance with another that ended in the very clear indication that he was not the right one for me. Um, so I was feeling very alone, and I was left in Tokyo. So I had two days in Tokyo by myself. Uh, I really felt the need to kind of reclaim my relationship with myself. Uh, I had always been a very fiercely independent person and I was feeling really vulnerable. Uh, so I decided to do that by climbing Mount Fuji. Um, for those of you who don't know, Mount Fuji is kind of tough, as it turns out. Uh, it's, a, it's about 12,389 feet, which doesn't sound like a lot with our 53 14ers out here. Um, but it is characterized by rapid elevation gains, extreme weather patterns, long switchbacks on loose gravel, and the ever-present threat of altitude sickness for somebody who had spent two weeks at sea level. And the Japanese have a really famous saying, um, those who climb Mount Fuji once are wise, those who do it twice are fools. So, of course, I had no idea of any of this. Uh, when I called my father to tell him that I planned on climbing Mount Fuji, I was pretty put off when he started to laugh at me. And uh, he said, how many mountains have you climbed? And I said, well, none. Clearly thinking you're overestimating my hidden mountain climbing abilities. Uh, and he kind of laughed again and said, well, just make sure that you turn around before you get too tired to come back down. Um, so the, uh, the red that I saw after that comment really seeped into my soul in the next two and a half hours for that bus ride all the way from Tokyo to the base of Mount Fuji. Um, Mount Fuji is an interesting place. You start at a uh, base five, station five is what they call it. It goes all the way up to station nine. And they only take cash. Nobody takes credit cards on Mount Fuji. Um, my plan, because I was leaving the next day and had to catch my flight, was to take all of my luggage with me, put it in a coin locker uh, at the base at station five, climb the mountain, uh, take about six hours, sleep at station eight, station nine, summit uh, in the beautiful sunlight as it rises over Fuji, come back down about three and a half hours down, grab my luggage, grab my bus, catch my flight back home. Yeah, you can laugh. <laughs> Um, so when I got there, I had a really quick lunch. I rented the coin locker. I shoved all my stuff in there, packed everything in that I needed, including all of the cash that I had left. And uh, I started my hike. And at first, it was really beautiful. There were a lot of beautiful wildflowers, a lot of children, a lot of elderly people just kind of strolling along. And I thought, oh, this is easy. I've got this. Uh, I passed a park ranger who pointed me off to the right, handed me a map and a smile, and off I go. Uh, I passed an old couple, and the man made eye contact with me, and he said, 
gambatane, which is in Japanese, do your best. And I said, hi, yes, absolutely, I will. Just cruising along, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then suddenly everything changed, immediately, it felt like. I looked around and suddenly there was no more greenery, there were no more old people or children, no more flowers. It was a lot of switchbacks, very steep switchbacks, lunar-type switchbacks, and in fact so steep that most of the time you have to have a point, three or four points of contact just to get over these rocks. Um, so I spent the next five hours on Mount Fuji, climbing and climbing and climbing. When I got to Station 6, I had to stop for about 20 minutes just to catch my breath. When I got to Station 7, I ran into an Australian guy I was uh, sitting next to on the bus who had been felled by altitude sickness. He couldn't go on any further. Uh, about halfway up Station 7, I got to a point where literally all I could do was step, cough, spit, heave, take another step, repeat, 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 until finally, finally I got to station eight, came out of the distance. Um, I decided that I had done enough for the day. Five hours was good. I was hacking up lung pieces at this point. Um, so I paid about 90,000 yen, which is about 87 US dollars for a place to stay, um, some rice curry dinner, a bento box breakfast, and basically a sleeping mat in a giant hall uh, full of Japanese people who oxygen deprivation turned into loud snoring, about the loudest snoring I have ever heard in my entire life. Uh, but somehow I still managed to get a little bit of sleep, a couple of hours, and when I woke up, my alarm went off at about 2 a.m. The plan was to summit right at sunrise. Uh, I kind of shifted in my mat, and there was this huge swelling of pain that just came right up my legs, felt like it was in every cell of my body, felt bone deep. Uh, it swelled, it crested over me, and then it kind of abated. And I thought, oh God, there is absolutely no way I can finish this. I can't even get off this mountain. They may have to like medevac me off of this thing. Um, so I grabbed 200 yen, which was the cost to use the bathroom, and I mean they charge for everything in Japan. Uh, I grabbed all of my stuff, I made my way out the door to a massive storm. There was fog all over the place, the wind was incredibly powerful. Um, but the more I moved, the less intense that pain got. So I just paid my 200 yen, I went into the bathroom, pulled on all of my hiking gear, and when I came back out, the mountain boss, that's the best way I can think to describe him, the guy who runs Station 8 was standing there. And he looked at me and he said, hiking? And I said, yeah. And he made a cross with his arms and he said, danger. Uh, and he pointed and I looked down and all of the headlamps that were coming up were being stopped at Station 8 by these men in bright vests with bright wands basically telling them you can go no further than this. And I managed to get from his broken English and my very broken Japanese that there was a huge storm and that they weren't letting any of the hikers pass until morning. So I asked him, how can I summit? When can I summit? And he said, when the sun rises, you can summit. And so I went back into my sleeping mat and I thought about it. If the sun rises at 5.30, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get to the summit, three and a half hours to get back down. I'm going to miss my bus, and I'm going to miss my flight back home. And I was suddenly very overwhelmed with the realization that I was not going to be able to do this. I was not going to be able to summit. Uh, and I immediately started to cry. And then just as immediately, I got real pissed because nobody tells me what I can do and what I can't do. 
And so I sat back down, I started tying my hiking boots, and of course, just at that moment, mountain boss guy walks by, looks through the window, sees me tying my boots, immediately opens the door, throws it open, and says, no hiking! Everyone's still asleep, no hiking! And I was like, oh, no, I'm not hiking. Um, I'm just, I, I'm gonna go eat my breakfast up at the hut. And he, he's, take off shoes. <laughs> So I take off my shoes and I put on these slippers that they gave us and he follows me all the way to the hut and I sit there and eat my bento box while he's looming over me, making sure that I don't hike. And I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> fuck you, dude. I rented a room from you. You're not my warden. So I come stumbling back down. I get into the sleeping hut. I'm tying my boots and I look at the window and I see that a lot of people are stopping. Some people aren't. And that tells me that these guys physically can't stop me from climbing. They can only suggest that I not do it. Um, so I pull on my boots. I'm tying those laces. He comes in. He starts yelling at me in half Japanese, half English. I start yelling back in half Japanese, half English. Uh, and at some point, another mountaineer distracts him. He turns around, and I slip right by him. And I go up the trail. And... He's not wrong. The wind is pretty crazy. It's a pretty crazy storm. The, the fog is like pea soup out there. You can't see a thing. Uh, when I get to station nine, I kind of pull the same stunt. I wait until the guy with the wand is looking in the other direction, and I slip past him. And for 45 minutes, it's just me in the mountain. And occasionally, I do see people with headlamps behind me or ahead of me. But for the most part, I'm completely in the dark. And the wind is so powerful that I periodically have to stop and press my body into the mountain just to make sure I'm not getting blown off the side. And I start thinking, if I die here, what is my obituary going to say? Because this is sheer stubbornness. There is no reason for this other than my dad told me I can't do it. And I start thinking about how pissed my dad would be and how impressed my friends would be, how they would tell this story forever. And then finally, after what feels like forever, the Tori comes into view, the very last Tori on Mount Fuji. And I come over the last crest, and I summit Mount Fuji at 3.14 in the morning. Thank you. <laughs> I am also very proud of myself. I think that this is amazing. This is something that nobody can ever take away from me. This is a challenge I met, and I did it, and I did it alone. So I reach into my bag. I only have enough cash left to buy one hot tea right at the Summit Mountain store thing. And I sit there and I enjoy it. I enjoy it by myself at a table. And when the fog starts to turn from black to white, because literally there's no point in taking pictures, you're not going to see anything, uh, I start heading back down. And at this point, my legs are completely jelly. They barely hold my weight. I'm skittering and sliding back and forth past these switchbacks, just really trying hard not to run into anybody. And I make it down at the three-and-a-half-hour mark in time for my bus. And I am so impressed with myself. <laughs> I just think that this is the most amazing thing, and I am the most amazing person. And I'm starving. My stomach is literally making sounds that other people are turning around to look and see what made that sound. Um, but I have no money left, and everybody takes cash. So instead of nutrients, I decide that I'm going to call my dad. <laughs> and I find this one two-by-two two square that has Wi-Fi. I call him up, and I say... I've, I made it back down. I'm off Fuji. And he says, did you summit? And I say, yes, I did. And there's a very long pause. And he says, well, I'm surprised. 
but I'm proud of you. Good job. And so we talk for a little while, and when I'm done gloating, I hang up the phone, and it's about time to catch the bus. So I go into the coin locker room. I go into the pocket that had my key, and there's nothing in there. And I remember feeling the key when I went in to get my money to pay for my night at Station 8. The only other time I went in that pocket was to pay for my tea at the summit. I realized very quickly that I have lost my coin locker key at the summit of Mount Fuji, and all of my things are in this coin locker, including my passport. So... The guy in the coin locker room uh, has the dubious honor of watching me preening Peacock uh, down into complete mess, meltdown. Uh, I am pulling everything out of my bag onto the floor. I'm shaking it. I'm crying. And he comes over very slowly, like you do when approaching a crying stranger. And he says, lost key? And I'm like, okay, yes, I think so. And he takes the bag from me, and he looks through all of the pockets. He can't find anything either. He disappears and comes back with a store manager, and he's translating for me as well. And I tell the store manager, listen, I think I lost my key at the summit. I, my bus leaves in 45 minutes. All of my things are in this coin locker. And he says, well, uh, we, we respectfully request 22 yen for each, each lost key. And I say, here's my credit card. And he's like, no, no, <laughs> no credit cards on Fuji, only, only cash. And I say, I have no cash. I scream it hysterically, I'm sure, at him. Uh, he looks a little afraid, actually. And he says, well, uh, we, would, we would ask that you borrow it from a friend. And I, wailing, say, I did this alone. And all of my pride turned into just this massive shame bubble. Why was I so stupid to think that I could do something like this by myself? Um, finally, they come to the conclusion that they are not going to get any money out of me, <laughs> and I'm just going to sit here and cry on the floor uh, until something happens. And so they very kindly write down their address in Japanese and say, when you get back to the States, you can mail us 22 yen. <laughs> if that's too much trouble, don't worry about it, he said. <laughs> and they took the door off of its hinges, they got my stuff out, and I... At this point, I'm exhausted emotionally, physically, I'm starving. Uh, I try to thank him, but I'm also just trying to get the hell out of there because I can barely stand to be in that room anymore. And I go out to the bus stop, and I collapse on the ground. And I am just, at this point, involuntarily leaking from my eyes, not even really thinking about it. And I'm so hungry that I'm, like, hunched over. And I'm digging through my bag, and I find two squares of chocolate from a chocolate bar that I bought when I was up on the hill. They look absolutely unappetizing in every possible way, but it's the only thing I have to eat. So I'm chewing on it, I'm leaking all over the pavement, uh, and I'm kind of people watching, and I look across the courtyard and I see two very young, very good-looking Japanese people staring back at me and coming directly for me. And I don't know what's going on, so I kind of like look away, uh, and then I look back up, still coming at me, the guy stops right in front of me and leans down, so he's eye-level to me. And the woman stands there next to him, and he says, Everything okay? And I um, yeah. <laughs> and he, he shoves in my hand this giant bao bun. Now, baos are these steamed pork buns. They have barbecue pork in them. They're warm. They're delicious. They're my favorite thing to eat uh, in any Asian country. And he says, For you. And I'm thinking... Um, does he think I'm homeless? I'm wearing nice clothes. 
And I try to give it back to him. He says, no, 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 for you. And he smiles and he stands up and they walk away. And as I stare at his back, I realize that's the young man from the coin locker room, the young man who dug through my bag looking for my key and who translated to the manager what was going on. And of course, immediately I burst back into tears. Uh, and I just sit on the pavement and I ugly cry while shoving bread and pork into my face until the bus comes. And two days later, I'm sleeping in my own bed. So, um, for those of you who are Firefly fans, this really made me think about a quote from Firefly because while we have the best laid plans and we can rely on ourselves, when everything else fails, other people really are our safety net. And the quote is, when you can't run, walk. When you can't walk, crawl. When you can't do that, find someone to carry you. So may we all carry each other. Gambatane. That's Mary Shirley. You did the firefly quote in the accent. That was really good. The Narrators was created by Andrew Orvidal and is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sidney Crane, and Aaron Rollman, with support from Scott Carney, Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, and Robert Rutherford. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theater Company, Illegal Pete's, From the Hip Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. We'd also like to thank Cities of Earth, who provided the music you're listening to right now, and fans just like you who attend our live monthly shows, which take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. For more information about our storytellers or the narrators, visit thenarrators.org and find, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>